Today we're given an opportunity to read someone else's mail. (laughs) The Apostle Paul writes this letter to a brother who lives in the city of Colossae. Except he doesn't write as he does in most of his other letters as an apostle with that apostolic authority. He writes this letter as one colleague to another. He writes to his friend and co-laborer Philemon. So if you're able to read with me, Philemon, there's only one chapter, but there are 25 verses beginning at verse 1. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer, to the beloved Aphia, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith which you have toward the Lord the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints, that sharing the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you, being such a one as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains, who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. I am sending him back. You therefore receive him, that is, my own heart, whom I wish to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. But without your consent, I wanted to do nothing, that your good deed might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then you count me as a partner, receive him as you would me. But if he has wronged you or owes you anything, put that on my account. I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. I will repay, not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self besides. Yes, brother, let me have joy from the Lord, from you and the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord, having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. But meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be granted to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow laborers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Amen. May God bless the reading and the hearing and the doing of his word. Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, he was likely on house arrest when he wrote this letter. Kind of get that idea in Acts 28 verses 30 to 31. He's there waiting to appeal to Caesar. 
And the interesting thing about Paul is that he always emphasized his chains were not the result of being a prisoner of Rome. He never blamed his circumstances on his religious opponents who falsely accused him. He saw himself as being exactly where God wanted him. He was bound, as far as he was concerned, he was bound to do what Christ wanted him to do. He was a prisoner of Jesus Christ. In this instance, being a prisoner of Christ and doing what God wants him to do meant writing to Philemon and to his wife, Aphia, who hosted a church in their house, and Archippus, who was either the pastor of that fellowship or maybe the local overseer or bishop of the local churches there in Colossae. You know, we all have certain persons who may come to mind when we pray. Philemon was one of those persons Paul prayed for regularly. He says, I pray for you always. And I tell you, if I was Philemon and I knew someone as important as the Apostle Paul, and he sent a letter like this to be read before the local church, making it clear that he knew me and was thinking about me, and praying for me often, and even mentioning, as he said in verse 5 about Philemon, he's been hearing of my love and faith, which, I've, uh, which I have toward the Lord Jesus and to the saints. The very thought of the Apostle Paul having great joy and comfort <laughs> because of something I've done, I'd be feeling pretty good about myself by now. That said, and having read the rest of the letter together here, I can't help but notice Philemon is being buttered up is sandwiched between these praises is verse 6 where Paul said that he prayed that Philemon's faith would become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. As if Philemon's Christian witness could be even more effective by some other thing in him given the opportunity. Now, Paul didn't use his apostolic authority. His relationship with Philemon was different. And now as an old man, and he says, he appeals to him as an old man and as an old friend. He pleaded for Onesimus, Philemon's runaway slave. And it turns out Onesimus came to know Jesus as Lord through Paul's ministry. Isn't that interesting, though? Interesting how God works. Paul's awaiting his day in court before Caesar, and there in Rome, he meets Onesimus, whom he may very well have known from Philemon's house in Colossae, 1,300 miles away. (laughs) He leads him to Christ, disciples him, finds encouragement through his mutual fellowship, and at some point, Paul aims to send this brother back to his master, even though he likely faced the death penalty for stealing and running away from his master. And yet Paul believes Philemon and Onesimus' relationship can be different now that they have Christ in common. You see, while Onesimus, whose name means profitable, was once unprofitable, he says, but now he is profitable to you and to me. He's true to his name. I want to provide a little background information for that day and age and for the culture in which you know Paul lived and grew up with. In the law of Moses, 
It's written in Deuteronomy 23, verses 15 and 16. He says, You shall not give back to his master, the slave who has escaped from his master to you. He may dwell with you in your midst, in the place which he chooses within one of your gates, where it seems best to him. You shall not oppress him. And that's that has to have some sort of influence on Paul. At the same time, he's not living in a Jewish world. He's, he's living here in the first century Greco-Roman world. And the threat of a slave revolt was a constant reality in the first century Rome, where there were more than 60 million slaves. So punishment against runaway slaves was severe. They faced crucifixion. They faced branding, the branding of an F for fugitive on their forehead if they lived to tell about it. However, Roman law also allowed runaway slaves to find sanctuary at any altar. And this altar included the hearth of one's home, the oven or the fireplace in a person's house. The head of the household If a runaway slave came to his house and landed himself there at the the oven and says, I'm a runaway slave, I've left my master, the head of the household was supposed to protect that runaway slave while at the same time encouraging them to go back to their master. And if if they refused, they were to put them up for auction and then provide their former master the price that was paid. And so with all of that in mind, I'm thinking it was Onesimus' choice to return to Philemon. Maybe, maybe with a little nudge from Paul. Because Paul said there between verses 12 and 14, he says, I'm sending him back to you. Therefore, receive him. And not only receive him, but receive him, that is, my own heart. Receive him as if you're receiving me, Paul says. He really wanted Onesimus to stay with him. They were friends now. According to Roman law, Onesimus faced crucifixion, branding, or continued slavery. Yet Paul wanted Philemon to receive Onesimus as a brother in Christ. As if he was receiving Paul's very heart. And this was an opportunity for Philemon to break from the Greco-Roman culture and bring the kingdom of God in Christ right into his living room. But it was his choice, as Paul said, without your consent, I wanted to do nothing that your good deed might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. Well, his statement there was, of course, partly due to his desire to keep Onesimus with him, but he didn't want to ask Philemon that, because Philemon seemed like he was the kind of guy who was going to do whatever Paul asked him to do. Well, this is what I think is going on. And and, and what I think Paul meant in verse 6 about Philemon's faith being made even more effective by every good thing in him, in Christ Jesus. He says in verses 15 to 16, For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Remember, Paul could totally have come from the top ropes with all of his apostolic authority and said, look, brother, 
Christ forgave you, Philemon, and now you've got to forgive Onesimus, and that's it. Instead of doing that, Paul pleads with Philemon as a partner, fellow workers building the kingdom of God in Christ. He very humbly appeals to Philemon on the basis of the kind of relationship they share between one another, which was what it was because of their mutual love for Jesus Christ. That said, we don't know what it might have cost Philemon. We aren't privy to any any damages done. What did Onesimus take from him before he ran away? Paul said, if he has wronged you or owes you anything, put that on my account. As you know, it can be hard to forgive and even harder to trust again. Listen to Paul's passionate appeal when he says, you know, I, Paul, I'm writing with my own hand, which has value there. It's a big deal he's writing with his own hand because Paul had an eye problem. He had eye issues, and he usually relied on an amanuensis. That's someone to write for him as he dictated. And yet here he is personally writing this letter with his own hand saying, I will repay, brother. Not to mention, you owe me too. (laughs) Brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. I think it's kind of cool when he says, let me have joy. To have joy is the Greek word oninami. And that's the root word for Onesimus. It's like, let me profit from you. Maybe he was asking for Onesimus back someday, alive and well. Let me have joy. Let me have this. Let me benefit from you. Let me profit from you in this. Nevertheless, Paul was confident Philemon would obey the Lord. In verses 21 to 22, he says, I know that you'll do what I ask even more. In the meantime, though, while waiting for Onesimus to return to Colossae, he believed very strongly that Philemon's prayers for his release would mean that he, too, would come to him someday and stay a while. And that's the reason for getting the guest room ready. He then wraps up his letter with greetings from the other brothers who were present with him. And these are the same persons mentioned when closing his epistle to the Colossians in chapter 4, verses 9 through 18. So uh, good evidence that that Philemon and Aphia had a, uh, had a home church there in Colossae. And then he says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. What a great reminder that we are more likely to accomplish the difficult things God calls us to do by remembering His grace toward us. United with our spirit. Amen, he says. A historical note here, we might wonder, whatever happened to Onesimus? I think we could assume Onesimus made it back to Philemon's house in His letter to the Ephesians, church father Ignatius said Onesimus actually followed Timothy as pastor of the church in Ephesus. And sadly, Onesimus was eventually stoned to death at Rome under Emperor Trajan, if if this account from Ignatius is true. So here are some questions to ponder as we've looked at Paul's letter to Philemon. First being, what good thing can you and I do to make our witness more effective? Like, 
It was written there in verse 6, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by acknowledging every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. What good thing can you do to make your witness more, more effective, to activate it? For Philemon, it meant forgiving Onesimus and receiving him as a brother. That would make Philemon's faith and the sharing of his faith even more effective. He would acknowledge that thing within him. Second question to ponder, is there someone you should let go? Is there someone you should let go? Like in verse 12, when he says, I'm sending him back. I'm sending him back. So receive him. That is, receive my own heart. For Paul, it meant letting go of Onesimus, even though he was a steady source of encouragement. Onesimus was like a son to him, he said in verse 10. Are you in a season where you ought to let your children go and trust the Lord? Maybe your baby child just graduated high school and now they are legally an adult and it's hard to let them go, but you've got to let them go. Maybe you've let them go geographically, but you're still all up in their Wheaties and you're not trusting God to take care of them. You're not trusting all the wisdom and skills you've given them as they grew up. Is there someone you should let go? Is, here's the third question to ponder. Is there someone you should receive? We see in verses 15 and 16 that Paul said, you know, perhaps Onesimus went away for a while. Maybe he departed for a while for this very purpose that you might receive him forever. He left a slave, but he's coming back to you as more than that. He's coming back as a brother in Christ, someone that will be in your life forever. For Philemon, it meant receiving Onesimus, even though he took something from him and ran away. And so is there someone in your life who, who's willing to make amends? And is God calling you to let them in? Here's the fourth question to ponder. Is there someone you and I should forgive? Is there someone you and I should forgive? Paul said, you know, if you count me as a partner, receive him as you would me. If he's wronged you or owes you anything, Put that on my account. No doubt Philemon was challenged to forgive Onesimus. But he was asked to forgive him on the basis of being forgiven. I mean, his heavenly debt was paid in full by Jesus. And Onesimus' earthly debts were paid by Paul. So my advice for you and for me is forgive quickly. But trust slowly. Some people have hurt us, and we have to forgive them. First of all, because God forgives us, and he won't forgive us if we don't forgive others. Jesus made that very clear. We're incapable of receiving forgiveness when our filter is so clogged up that we can't forgive others. So forgive quickly. Largely, the forgiveness is for us first. Let them go. Release them of the debt they owe to come back and make it right. But trust slowly, because some people in our lives have hurt us. First of all, they may never come back and ask forgiveness. Second, even if they do come back and ask forgiveness, they may have hurt us in such a way where we would be stupid or unwise to immediately trust them. So we're not really reconciled yet. We're not, 
We're not really friends yet, perhaps, but I forgive and I'm going to trust slowly. My dad, you know, I've got a huge father wound. He hurt me as a kid. He was in and out of my life. And at some point, for my own health and well-being as a young person, I had to forgive my dad. And eventually, as I was born again, I came to Christ at 17, I began to see my dad as someone whom Christ loved and was trying to reach. And so my dad became like a mission to me. I, I stopped expecting my dad to be fatherly to me. My heavenly father was now fatherly to me. Heavenly father was the one who was not going to leave me nor forsake me. And so I began to not expect fatherly, daddy type things from my dad. And that freed me up to love my dad without any expectations, with no strings attached. So, you know, is there someone you should forgive? Is there, in, in that said, is there someone you ought to see as a mission, someone that God has given you to minister to, to serve, to bring the gospel? So the bottom line there is those who are forgiven forgive others. That's just the way it works. It's the way it works. If God has forgiven you and me, we will forgive other people. But fifthly and finally, is there someone to whom you should prove yourself trustworthy? Is there someone to whom you should prove yourself trustworthy? Onesimus would have to show himself trustworthy to Philemon. Excuse me. We can't expect those we've hurt to immediately trust us. Again, it may take some time. They will need to see evidence that we have changed. So, like an Esmus, if we are coming back into someone's life, or if we have wounded someone else, we've taken something from them, depending on how big that was, how severe, how deep the wound, we will have to show ourselves trustworthy, that we're different, that we have changed. And maybe we'll fail again. But may those failures be few and far between so that we are building a history of trustworthiness and reliability. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this little book. These little letters and scriptures like Jude and Philemon and Titus that are just so powerful, so filled with these truths and principles. I'm thankful for the relationship Paul had with Philemon, with the church there in Colossae. Thankful, Lord, for forgiveness that we have in Christ and how that forgiveness affects our relationships with people this side of eternity. And so, Lord, I'm praying that this study today and more importantly, your word as is will just touch hearts and minds and bring healing and forgiveness and restoration to relationships motivate those who have been hurt to reach out to those who hurt them and to motivate those who have hurt others to reach out to those whom they have hurt to pursue forgiveness 
pursue reconciliation. All because you have initiated that for us and set such a great example. In Jesus' name I pray.